The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Learning Curve. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt by or mug or whatever other fine accoutrements you can find uh, at sqpn.com slash merch. We've got some great stuff there from a lot of our shows, and you'll want to check that out. That's at sqpn.com slash merch. And another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, and I'm wearing the merch for that right now, is Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. So we're talking about Learning Curve, which is the final episode of the first season of Voyager. And uh, Jimmy, can you give us a rundown of what happens in this one? This week in the B-plot, Voyager has a stinky cheese problem. Neelix Mm. has been making stinky alien cheese, and the bacteria used to make it have infected the ship's neural gel packs. This causes a shipwide crisis, but they realize that they can use heat to give the entire ship a fever to kill the bacteria, so they do so. Meanwhile, in the A-plot, Tuvok is trying to train a group of Maquis rule-breaking slackers who we'll mostly never see again, up to Starfleet standards. He's not having the success he wants, and Neelix tells him it's because he's being too inflexible. So he tries getting to know the head rule-breaking slacker better, and this helps humanize the man in his Vulcan eyes. But we still need to find a final bonding experience for Tuvok and the slackers, so at the peak of the stinky cheese crisis, Tuvok and his students are trapped in a cargo bay and endangered by poison gas. One of them is injured, Tuvok bends Starfleet rules to go back and save him, but Tuvok is also overcome by the poison gas, and the others must then break Tuvok's orders in order to save both him and their fallen comrade. They do so, and in the end, Tuvok learns that there is a time to break rules, and they learn that there is a time to keep them. There's also a time to cast away stones and a time to <laughs> gather stones together. To everything, there is a season. Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> Bonding mission accomplished. The end. <laughs> Great. Now I get that song in my head. To every season. So uh, speaking of stinky cheese, I just want to quote G.K. Chesterton, who said, the poets have been mysteriously silent on the subject of cheese. So mm. uh, just thought I'd throw but that out there. Apparently not the Voyager writers. <laughs> All right, so before we get into it, uh, first impressions, overall impression of this episode, Father Corey? It's a bottle episode. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I, <laughs> this is not one I really have ever enjoyed. The Doctor gets to actually play a part in saving the ship, and that's a good thing, but it's a bottle episode. Okay. Uh, Jimmy? This episode isn't as bad as I remembered it. Um, the, the cheese thing is played for a joke. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. what the writers were intending. Mm -hmm. It didn't come across that way to all the fans though. Um, and, and so that has harmed the episode's reputation. The, what I was most interested in, and they, they thought they could get away with the cheese thing because it's in the B plot. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's like, here's a little joke in the B plot. 
Um, the, the key is the interaction of Tuvok and the characters and I, that he's training. And I thought that was much better done than I remembered. It is not nearly as ham fistedly paint by numbers as it could be. Um, the, there's also some interesting directing in this where after Tuvok has been assigned to train these former Maquis and Starfleet ways, he's talking to them at a cargo bay and he, he's clearly talking to three of them. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden this blue Bolian face comes in from camera right. And it's, oh, there's a fourth person that's been here this whole yep. time that we hadn't seen. And that's nice creative directing. And it fits with the Bolian character's personality. The Bolian is incredibly ebullient. He's a, <laughs> he's a chatterbox. And to have mm-hmm. him just burst in from frame right and start talking is emblematic of his character. And so the direction fits with the nature of this character, who is the most fun of mm-hmm. all of the trainees. His name is Chell. And he is the only one who we will ever see again. Yeah. Uh, he comes back in a, in a later episode. And this is a flaw at, on a Voyager, which was noted way back in the Mike Nelson era of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 of, I'm the captain of, pretending to be Janeway, it's like, I'm the captain of a ship of 148 individuals, most of whom we'll never see again. And it's like, if you were really on this tight little ship, you should Mm -hmm. have lots more recurring characters. They should have thought things through better. They should have introduced these characters from this episode in previous ones, at least in the background. And we should continue to see them in the future and and track their performance. They should have long-term story arcs, but they just couldn't be bothered with thinking that way on this show. But the the writing between Tuvok, I mean, he's basically a drill instructor, mm-hmm. and the writing is 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 I was pleasantly surprised because Tuvok is not as much of a jerk as he mm. could be, and he gets to experience self doubt because he's used to training Starfleet recruits who have passed from what we know from Next Gen are rigorous academy application Mm -hmm. processes. Mm -hmm. None of these people ever did that. They don't care. And the first thing they do is walk out on him, Mm -hmm. which is great. It's they totally undercut his authority. Because what can you do? (laughs) What can you do? And 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 so it takes Chakotay's involvement. And Chakotay also is well written in this. He doesn't have as big a part. But when they, when he and Tuvok and Janeway have their initial conference about what are we going to do about this problematic Maquis engineer guy, Tuvok does not immediately rush to the defense of all the Maquis. But Chakotay mm-hmm. does. You know, I'm sorry, Chakotay. Yeah. Chakotay does not immediately rush to the defense of all the Maquis, which would be the safe, predictable, paint-by-numbers writing choice given that he's a former Maquis guy. And he doesn't do that. And yeah. then – after the after the trainees have totally undercut Tuvok's authority by just ditching him in the middle of a lecture, it's then Chakotay who who provides the authoritative backing for mm-hmm. uh, for Tuvok by he meets the he meets the guys in in the mess hall and says, "Tell me your side of the story." 
and they do, and they explain what what a lame you know, Tuvok is. And we're not going to do we're going to do our jobs, but we're we're going to do it the Maquis way, not the Starfleet way. And Tuvok slugs him. Chakotay. Uh, sorry, him. there we go. Sorry, God, it's a Tuvok centric episode. Yeah. Um, Chakotay slugs him and says, "That's the Maquis way too, right? That's how we did discipline on our ships. If you want it to be like that, we can do this every day." <laughs> Yep, and, or you can learn how to do it the Starfleet way. Yeah, I like the Starfleet <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will say Tuvok is the most non-shouty shouty drill instructor I've ever seen, including yes. the training instructors I had at Air Force. So um, I would have preferred his method, I think, but you know that's not quite how it works. <laughs> yes, you know, for me, I I like this one. I thought it was an interesting premise. The idea of you know, they, in fact, the writers themselves talk about. They wanted to explore the idea of unusually rebellious officers. We've always mm-hmm. had Starfleet officers on board ships who were, you know, Starfleet. They they do the thing. Yeah. And, you know, we had Ro Laren at one point, and she was about as rebellious as we got in TNG. But these are a bunch of former Maquis. And, and it's an interesting premise that they built into the show is what happens if you get Starfleet and pirates, essentially, mm-hmm. stuck on a ship together 70 years away from home. And I'm, I kind of wish they almost explored that more. I mean, they did, they yeah, explored they this at times. They but should yeah, have. It should it should have been more of that than and you know they eventually within a season or two kind of they're just one crew and you know all of the this the most of the rebelliousness is gone. Um, and but I thought it was interesting in this idea of what would it be like to be mm-hmm. this Maquis who had been hunted by Starfleet now. Shanghai, in a sense, forced to serve, pressed into service on this Starfleet ship. Nice, correct yeah. use of the term Shanghai. That is, that is, um, <laughs> what happened to them. Yeah. They, right. and I, and I, to Shanghai, someone was to impress them into service on a ship. Yes, yep. and you, I agree with with Chakotay's portrayal in this is is very very good. You know, because he's not just is he not defending. Maquis, you know, he's he's letting the, these Maquis crew members, you know, face the consequences for their decisions, but he's also backing Tuvok, which, you know, of course, there's animosity between the two of them because Tuvok was a spy in his, his ship. Yeah, that's true. You know, and yeah. So, but so, but Chakotay is willing to, you know, work with him and back him on this, and of course, back the captain, which he does pretty much throughout the entire mm. series. I mean, Chakotay is the is the bridge between these worlds because he was both a Starfleet officer, had served more than I think mm-hmm. more than any of the other Maquis longer in in Starfleet. Yeah, and well, he taught yet, at the academy as well, right? And yet he was also a Maquis commander, and so uh, he knows both of these worlds intimately. Um, and I I did I I wanted to emphasize that what you said, Jimmy, about these are non Starfleet people. These people mm-hmm. were you know. They didn't go to the academy, and yet they're being expected to hold up the standards that these elite select few who went yeah. to the academy, you know, are, were held to, and that made an interesting conflict in this one. So I, I did like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the directing uh, choices, and there were some good ones, but there were some odd choices as well um, in the scene in Janeway's quarters with Chakotay and Tuvok. The entire time, Tuvok is in profile where, with Chakotay in the background, and he never turns. We never get a full-on fr- uh, face, and it's just this weird – I don't know what the director, uh, which was Richard Livingston, what he was going for with this, 
but it was kind of an odd. It just stuck out to me. I don't know. It it, it may have been an attempt to figuratively portray Tuvok as inflexible and a mysterious mm-hmm. cipher. That's uh, it's, that's that's a good possibility. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Because um, that's a that's a key point later. I love the scene in um in the mess hall later where Tuvok has had failure mm-hmm. in his efforts and he's sitting there alone brooding and Neelix comes over and says, "Hi Mr. Vulcan, I'm understand my um I'm needed as morale officer here." And he's like, "You are mistaken." And then Neelix points out three pieces of evidence that show that <laughs> Tuvok is clearly brooding. Yes. And says, so, so what's bothering you? And he tells him about his, he, he's always had success training people and these people are, are not responding the way he, he, he wants. He's always been able to help transform people into great Starfleet officers. And Neelix is like, let me show you something. Come over here. And he's got a bunch of flowers on the, whatever that is, the serving area. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he says these, these, and he pulls one out and he bends its stem and he says, these things are like unbreakable. They're incredibly flexible. You can't break one. But then he, he says, occasionally you'll find a blossom that's like this one. And he pulls out another one and snaps it and says, so some of the, so most of the blossoms are very flexible, very able to bend with circumstances, but occasionally one isn't. And Tuvaka says, so you are saying that the students I've got right now are need to be a little more flexible. And he says, mm-hmm. no, Mr. Vulcan, I'm saying that you are rigid and inflexible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in fact, I kind of like the way he Neelix does it in this because he's sort of like kind of amused and so mm-hmm. almost pitying, like, no, Tuvok, it's you who are inflexible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I have to say that. Neelix in this episode is the least annoying he is yeah. in the entire first season. They the writers in this one got Neelix better than any other first season episode so yep. far. Yeah, vastly Neelix is vastly more enjoyable in this than any <laughs> other first season episode. Yeah, yeah. Um the right even with the cheese which, you know, it's it's kind of funny that yeah, I I guess they wanted the threat from the cheese to be instead of some alien influence and the big threat, mm. we wanted some sort of like small mundane thing to be a, yeah. the threat that yeah. we have to overcome. So I get why they did that. But yeah, I can also see why people were like, really? Ne- Neelix is cheese? Because it just, it makes Neelix the clown again. You know, that mm-hmm. whole clown thing, which is it, unfortunate. It's kind of like the way first season DS9 writers just seem to have it in for Julian Bashir. Yeah, right. like we're always going to make him as annoying as possible. Yeah, yeah, and it, 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 I mean later on, Neelix gets a little more interesting, and like we just did the uh, Jitrell from I think fourth season not long ago, which was, you know, at least gave Neelix some interesting complexity in his story yeah. that to deal with. Um, so I like that. Um, I also like that the fact that they bring in these bioneural gel packs, this unique technology. To Voyager and this idea that although it, it's kind of weird that they're irreplaceable, we can't make more like everything else we can do, but we Especially can't make more of these. If they're bio neural, why can't you grow them? Yeah, right, ex- exactly. So there's something weird about it. Um, but well, and this this idea that they can get sick, that they're not completely separate, you know, separated from the rest of the ship, you know, like they're not completely sealed, yeah, so that they can get sick. You know, and it, yeah, that's a little hard to 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 buy. That would do that, but um, 
it's what is it? Uh, it's Bellana who gets the idea, like, well, they're bioneural, so we should take them to a doctor. Although I would have thought take them to a biologist, maybe. <laughs> like, they're not people. Well, they're, they might, yeah, they might not have a biologist on board anymore since the biologist that's, probably might have died. That's true. That's true. That's right. We lost <laughs> so a lot the of the crew. Close you could get. <laughs> uh, although it is funny how uh, the doctor gets this thing, like, well, I've been told I need to uh, to cultivate more sensitivity to my patients so i'm trying to be more sensitive and treats the gel pack like a person <laughs> and even, even evokes the starfleet version of hipaa yeah, right, like, i'm not right. supposed to, i can't talk about the condition and you know <laughs> right right <laughs> they, and that actually they could have done more with that they treat that as a little joke mm-hmm. but um but it would have been nice if if Bellana had somehow conveyed the idea so when you're being nice to a human patient, you're just acting in as wooden a way as you are towards this this gel pack right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You don't, you're, you're not really feeling sympathy. <laughs> it's all algorithms, baby. <laughs> He's a hologram toaster. So um, – so that speaking of the the Maquis crew that the trainees, so we've got you know Dalby who's sort of an angry jerk. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Henley who she acts kind of entitled. Uh, Garen is the young Bajoran who's just sullen, and uh, we have Chell who's just over talkative and you know shares yeah. too much, whatever. And uh, it's not it's nice that they gave them different personalities. They're each mm-hmm. kind of an archetype of. Mm-hmm someone who who would be a a problem right yeah i mean like uh what what like i guess with henley she's sort of a follower she's sort of following mm-hmm. dalby mm-hmm. but also like uh the, the he calls them out on their uniforms like they're wearing um non-approved uniform things which their superiors should have been calling them out on but okay well um, obviously starfleet doesn't have freedom of religion because you know both those items removed are two of the three items removed are religious items, the earring and the pen yeah yeah well, at least the um at least the earring is I don't know if the pendant that Shell is wearing has a religious significance, but i it seemed like it, it was kind of in the the sense of like you know a Buddhist perhaps yeah, yeah, yeah. but know. in any case but I, I think the yeah. ban on Bajoran religious earrings is ridiculous. That should that should be accommodated under Starfleet's multicultural goopiness. Well, yep. I mean, doesn't Roe wear her earring on the bridge on TNG? I think she does. I remember if she there, did. There is an issue over it at one point where okay. it's like I know it's not regulation or something like that. She certainly did wear it in um, Picard season three. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so maybe they learned uh, since then. Mm. Uh, one but thing I mean, can, like yeah. in our military today, I mean, Father, people can wear crosses or stars of David or whatever. Now, I mean, it has to it can't be exposed. Be inside. Yeah, but like you could wear it. Like like Chell had that pendant that was under the uniform. Yeah, top. that would be no problem. You know, you could you could wear a, a crucifix or something like that under your uniform or in a, you know carry it with you. You can't carry it. You know, put it around your outside. Right. You know. Yeah. But like a Sikh, uh, can a wear a turban or can something. Can wear the turban, right? Yep. Um, or uh, Jewish with the yarmulke. Um, so I want to talk about some of the training that goes on. So they do this 10-kilometer run. Um, does Tuvok go too that's, far? That's six miles for 
us Americans. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Tuvok go too far with this, especially making two of them repeat the run and then saying we're going to do it every night? Well, he so what he the first thing he does is he has this elaborate obstacle course way of getting to the beginning of the run where yeah. we're going to go up a whole bunch of decks and then we're going to cross the the mess hall, which actually gives us a good moment because Chell is uh, trailing at that point, and he, yeah. gra- he he gestures to someone's water in the mess hall, and the woman says, "Yeah, sure," and he takes the water and he's taking a swig of the water as he's plodding through the mess hall, and then. Tuvok is there at the door waiting for him to exit, and Tuvok has his hand out, and Chell just plops <laughs> the water in Tuvok's hand, <laughs> which is a great visual joke. Right. Um, but uh, And then they got to go down all these floors through the Jeffrey's tubes to get to the beginning of the run, and then they do the run, and then they're just doing laps on deck 14 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And... At the end of it, and they're complaining and talking about the pain in their shoulders because they're carrying heavy, heavy backpacks and stuff. And the um, and and at the end of the run, uh, but we see Tuvok, uh, Dalby, and Henley lap mm-hmm. Shell and Garen. So we see yeah. them passing them, and they're clearly moving much slower than the others are. And then at the end of the run, um. Tuvok says, you've now completed a 10.1-kilometer run. You may have experienced extra difficulty because I bumped up the gravity on this deck by 10%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and then he says, we lapped you, Chell, and, and Garen three times, so go finish your run. Was it finish or do it, it was, again? It's not the no, whole thing. It's finish. Oh, okay. So finish your run. And then we're gonna we're gonna do this again tomorrow night, and I expect you to all do better. Okay, yeah. It, I mean, it it seems a bit excessive. I mean, I get I get the idea of how well, that's drill instructors drill instructing. Yeah, I but mean, the also, idea is misery together forms bonds, and yeah. Well, and it's they also you would think would make sure that they're keeping it at the level, the fitness level of their troops. Yeah, you know if if. If you've got troops that haven't been exercising, you're probably not going to want to push them as hard right away. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, I also imagine they probably they might not do it the immediate next day because you've just by these people who have not been exercising, they've just been been engaging in strenuous activity. They're going to have caused a bunch of micro tears in their muscles, which is what builds new muscle. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way you build muscle. You mm-hmm. cause micro tears. And then when your body builds, repairs the tears, you've got a bigger muscle. And that's why you have the no pain, no gain uh, slogan. Yep. Um, Because causing little tears and thus pain is part of the growth process for muscles. And it takes time to recover. So you might not want to do it the immediate next day while they're still in pain. (laughs) Yes. So uh, another part of the training is they go do the uh, well, they don't call it this, but it's the Kobayashi Maru scenario mm-hmm. on the holodeck with a recreation of the Voyager Bridge with Dalby in the place of the captain, Chell at the helm, uh, well, Garen a, at ops. Yeah, not quite the complete Kobayashi Maru no. because the Tuvok tells them the solution yeah. of it was to retreat, to yeah. get out of there. Yeah, as soon as the first uh, Romulan shows up, turn around and go. Right. Yeah, I I I agree. It was it wasn't a no win scenario. Tuvok specifically said the computer is going to present you with random 
options mm-hmm. and or random events, and you can then re- react to them as best you can. And he's right. This was a good lesson. They could have just retreated and survived. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but it's well done in that they're none of them are doing anything overtly stupid. Yeah. yeah, they're they're all responding in ways we can imagine, say Picard or other people responding. And so when Tuvok says, um, you know, so what lesson have we learned here? They're like, we didn't do anything wrong. And we were by the book. And it's like, and we've seen crises handled exactly the way they handled them in numerous previous Star Trek episodes. Mm. And so it really is like, they didn't do anything wrong. And, and then That's Tuvok the points point. out, but you could have retreated and survived. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. He says the uh, the strongest tactical move is always the one in which you reap the highest gain at the lowest cost. Because Dalby wants to go out with you know all guns blazing. He's like that's that's you know we're at least yep. going to impose a high cost on the Romulans as we go. And it's like going out with phasers blazing may seem heroic, but in the long run, it's just foolish, which is true. And it's sort of the Maquis way versus the Starfleet way. The Maquis are you know brash and. Like pirates or whatever, you know. Well, except they're also exactly the Starfleet way in numerous previous episodes mm-hmm. where it wasn't yeah. the goal of the writers to teach this lesson, and therefore true. they did survive. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I guess different Maquis commanders have uh, different philosophies, too, like Eddington uh, mm-hmm. in DS9. There Also, we get a scene of Chell effectively cleaning the transporter room with a toothbrush. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is classic. Yes, that is, that is the twenty six hours worth of cleaning. The uh, the twenty fourth century version of you know cleaning the <laughs> latrines with your toothbrush. Um, so I don't uh, think it's your toothbrush. I think it, it's a toothbrush. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I I think. Well, who knows what what may have happened in past in the boot camps? Uh, all of I the can past. say is we never had to worry about that. We just had to use good old fashioned you know floor Scrap- cleaner to clean them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, after the the inflexibility conversation with Neelix, Tuvok does take um, Dalby to the Sandrine's hologram of the you know to um what's his name um, Tom Paris Paris Paris's Paris Club. <laughs> That's kind of weird. I didn't realize that. Um, but he takes him there to kind of get to know him, play billiards together, and uh, and he's got almost data level wooden questioning. <laughs> his mm-hmm. social uh, aptitude is very low. Um, Which and, is unrealistic for Tuvok, given how long he's lived with humans. Yeah, exactly. And but Dalby give, you know gives this horrific story of how he ended up in in the Maquis and so angry. And mm-hmm. it's it's I like this. This is well done because Tuvok is like, so tell me about your family, your girlfriend, whatever. And he mm. ha- and Dalby unloads with this horrific story of what happened to them. And and he says, so do you have family, Tuvok? And he's like. Yes, but nothing would that would compare with what you just said. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, duh. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. not the time to go, I have a wife and three kids and I'm very happy. Thank you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it explains why would, why would someone like Dalby become a Maquis and try to kill all the Cardassians well, he could? And you get yeah. the story. Yeah. And he was, he was a human colonist too. Yep. You know, so he's like on the Bajoran frontier, but he was a human colonist. Right. family was killed. Right. So, um, and basically he tells Tuvok, you know, look, at the end, look, I don't want to get to know you and I don't want to be your friend. So let's just leave it at that, you know, and just keep things 
professional. And so again, it's another failure on Tuvok's part to <laughs> to break through and to mm-hmm. you know connect with these recruits. And I I kept wanting to rewrite Tuvok's dialogue to make him more effective. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when when the when in, because what happens in this scene is Tuvok is trying to get to know this guy so he can understand him better. And he's being way too overt about it. And the guy realizes what Tuvok is doing and calls him on it. And Tuvok is, is, is like, dude, just say, let's just play a game, okay? Yeah. You know, let's just yeah. focus on the game. And you'll learn. You'll continue to learn about him, and you won't be tripping his sensors in the same way. Mm-hmm. That's that's the point of having the game is to give you something to do. So let's do the thing and let everything else emerge naturally. Right, right. Um. So the the by by the way, I had a I once mm-hmm. went to a caller school for square dance callers. And they had an extensive icebreaker for all the oh. calling students to get to know oh, each other. I hate icebreakers. <laughs> and, yeah. And and in my feedback to the caller school was, if you want an icebreaker for the caller students, let us dance. That's <laughs> yeah. what we do. That's our social event. We already know how to do that. Just let us dance. And that'll be an icebreaker. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to state this as a priest who has had to suffer through too many of these things at church events. <laughs> the only people who like icebreakers are the ones who come up with the icebreakers. Extroverts. No one else does. <laughs> Youth ministers and HR people. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're all extroverts who love icebreakers. Uh, so the, 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 the solution to the gel pack problem is superheating them because they can't have their own fever. That's how our body combats viruses. And so, yeah, this is, so in, they're badly designed gel packs. You yes. didn't build them with an immune system. Right, right. That'll, that'll be a note to Starfleet when we get back. <laughs> and, uh, and it, some, it superheats the whole ship. Everyone's like collapsing from being overheated. But it also causes a uh, malfunction in the cargo bay where Tuvok and his trainees are, which releases plasma gas that's poisonous. Mm-hmm. Um, and Garen is injured in a, a inaccessible location. And Tuvok's, you know, rightly says, "Okay, everybody out. You know, we, you guys go." And doesn't say, "Don't worry, I'll get Dalby." He just like, "No, no, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few." Which and it's like, just tell him why you want them to yeah. to go, so I, you can go and take care of the problem. But by not saying anything, he makes uh, Dalby like super angry with him. Like he thinks he's abandoning Garen. I do love the line, "I will break your arm unless you go now." <laughs> yeah. Yes. See, that's all he needed to say. He didn't even have to give an excuse. You know, right. just like get out, or I force you out, and you won't like it. Yes. Um, but as soon as they realize that Tuvok has gone back for Garen, that he's not sacrificing him, they then we have this classic, you know, moment where they work as a team to get the job done to save the others. So I mean, it's kind of a you know, it's a little bit of a trope, but it's you know, it's the resolution. Um, and then we get the line, um, you know, because Tuvok bent the rules to save Garen, which I don't know that. No, he just yeah. made a command decision. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, we get the. Dalby saying, Lieutenant, if you can learn to bend the rules, I guess we can learn to follow them or something along those lines. So, yeah, it's really painful. We all numbers happily together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
At least they're not standing around consoles as they say it. <laughs> yes, at least they're not doing that. Uh, no, that, that was that was the B plot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, incidentally, um, Dal- Kenneth Dalby apparently was the name of the bully, uh, childhood bully of one of the writers. Mm-hmm. So they so it was their way of like sort of working through that childhood drama <laughs> by having him be the bully and then be resolved, which is I suppose better than killing him off in the middle of the plot. <laughs> That might be where the line about breaking his arm came from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, one other thing is we didn't talk much about Janeway in this. In, in, a, in a more ham-fisted writing, they would have had Janeway as the the uh, drill instructor trying to oh, fix they, this. Oh, they do that later in an episode called Good Shepherd. Right, right. That's right. They do actually <laughs> make that mistake. And uh, But in this, she's more removed. She delegates to her subordinates. This is mm-hmm. good. This is how a captain works. Um, but we do start with her hollow novel thing. She, like this is we've established that throughout the Voyager, Janeway has this hollow novel, you know, hobby, shall we say? Yep. Which and she sure. has this governor's fantasy <laughs> that she's got going on uh, here. This this will show up a few times. Um, in I think this... they get rid of it after the first season, though. Do they? Because did we already have the one where? She meets the father of the kids, or is that later? I think that's later. And this is the last episode of the first season, so it might... No, I think that was earlier. I think that was earlier. Okay. Yeah, I don't really remember. I can't remember. The the governess, her 19th century Charlotte Bronte hollow novel hobby is kind of... (laughs) Annoying. I don't know. I mean, I don't mind it. It's just very forgettable. It's pillar filler. Yeah. Well, I just... it, It seems... Yeah, especially knowing kind of the behind behind the scenes of of the the, the controversy, quote unquote, I and mean, there really wasn't controversy, but there's just you know some some people were weren't sure how could we have a female captain on this show, yeah, right. and, and I think that was more drummed up than it was actual controversy at the time. I think most fans were like, okay, fine, yeah, yeah, we've seen Starfleet captain, female Starfleet captains, we got no problem, but to then have her be a 19th century romance hollow novel fan mm. it's kind of uh, i don't know it, it just it doesn't quite i liked it better when they brought in john yeah. rice davies as yeah. da vinci da, yeah that yeah. was so much better that was much i like better. that yeah i i don't mind her doing the 19th century women's novel um thing i can i mean she's a female that that these even men can enjoy these stories. My wife was a fan of Jane Eyre and Charlotte Bronte and all of these people, and I had never read or seen, you know, any any of their works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd heard the names, but through Renee, I she would watch movies and miniseries, and I would watch them too. And it's like, okay, I I can I can get these stories. I can see why people enjoy these, mm. and I recognize tropes from from them like in this one she's got the two kids she's the governess okay there's there's famous 19th century novels where you got the governess coming in and she falls in love with the master of the household who's who's got kids and stuff and and the kids mention their mother Mm-hmm. And the little boy is like, our mom is dead. And the girl is like, no, I gave her my sampler last night. And a sampler is a is a is a kind of demonstration project that people who do needlework do. Mm-hmm. So it demonstrates your skill. It's a sampling of your skills. 
And she, I gave my sampler to mom last night when I talked to her. And, and it's clear there's this dark secret. Mom is secretly living up in the attic. And it's like, yeah. okay, that is the plot twist from Pride and Prejudice. Right. Rochester mm. has his ex-crazy wife up in the attic. Spoilers! And, I haven't. Yeah, seen. <laughs> yeah. from two hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so you know, I I have an appreciation yeah. for for that kind of thing, and I I think it's a nice way of showing Janeway's balance mm-hmm. in terms of the femininity question. She can be an effective commander, and she's got this feminine side too. And so I don't. I think they. I think they complement each other well. Uh, you, you convince me on that one. I, I agree. A um, couple things. The uh, you mentioned the second episode of this novel that we'll see is actually in the second season. Persistence of Vision okay. is the episode. Um, that's where we'll get the resolution and the reveal of the mom. Uh, the boy who plays uh, oh, I forget what the character uh, Draco Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, Henry uh, Thomas Decker will also had actually previously appeared in Star Trek Generations. As uh, Picard's, you know, um, fictional son, the you know the imagined. Oh, son. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so Thomas Decker showed up there. So I just thought that was interesting. That P- Picard or Riker's fictional son, Picard. Picard. Okay. So Picard in, has a, in the, when he goes into the rift or whatever the thing is called. Um, oh, you mean in the movie? In the movie yes. Star Trek okay. Generations. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, so he he that's where else he's been in Star Trek, I guess. Um, so, uh, anything else, Father Corey? Nothing else here. How about you, Jimmy? Oh, just a couple of minor notes on on sciency things. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, so they're they're playing. The writers are clearly trying to be you know engage with real science in this, and they and that's why they bring in the fever mm-hmm. because that's why we have fevers is to cook. Uh, you know, various pathogens can exist only in a fairly narrow temperature range, so our bodies will ratchet up our temperature to cook them and kill them and make us better. And and that's why it's, if you want to take fever reducers when you got a fever, you're extending your illness. You know, it's if it, mm-hmm. unless the fever mm-hmm. is dangerously high, it's better to just take the fever and get better quicker. This is not medical advice. <laughs> yeah. Um and 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 so they they're trying to engage there. They also are trying to come up with an explanation for why didn't our transporters filter out the the bacteria. And they say, "Oh, guess what? It's not really the bacteria, it's the viruses that live in the bacteria." And I'm like, "Okay, good. Points for that. Um you're there are viruses that live in bacteria." Um, and, and, and we know about those things. Um, but since we know about those things, your transporter should have filtered out the viruses too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's, it, it's no good if you're filtering out half of the pathogens and letting half of the rest of them come on board, then they sort of forget about the viruses because they, they use the, uh, the ship's warp whatevers to heat the ship up and cook the the gel packs and everybody else and in order to kill the bacteria and it's not the bacteria that are the problem you need to be using antivirals yes mm-hmm. 
So that that kind of goes by the wayside. And during the stinky cheese crisis, Janeway at one point um, tell gives the order to increase the antimatter flow to jack up the heat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. This was actually established back in season one of Next Gen, and it's accurate scientifically. There is only one ratio for matter-antimatter collisions if you want to extract power from them, and that's one-to-one. If you want to increase the flow of both matter and antimatter to jack up the heat, you could do that potentially, but um, just throwing more antimatter at the same amount of matter is not going to give you any extra bang for your buck. So writers forgetting how science works. (laughs) I figured that was just shorthand for doing exactly what you just said. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So just one one thing, one thing I just noticed on you, you mentioned that Thomas Decker was was played uh, Picard's uh, imaginary son. We also just saw him in Picard season three. Oh, did we? He was Titus Ricca, the, the changeling that was interrogated by Worf and Raffi. Oh, that was yeah. the same actor. I mean, I could see it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad someone beat the snot out of him after how rude he was to Janeway. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. So that does it for our discussion of learning curve. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Voyager episode, Learning Curve? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time. We'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Oasis. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, if you do not learn from your mistakes, you are doomed to repeat them. 